0: This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming.
1: Hey everyone. This is Kelly Herbick here from the Northeast region with the Northeast Agronomy podcast. I'm joined by our um, summer intern, Cheyenne Markowski. Cheyenne, can you tell us who we have joining us today? Thanks for that introduction, Kelly. We're nearing the end of August and we're joined with field agronomist Kevin Fry, who covers Ohio and Pennsylvania, and Jonathan Ross, who covers South and Central Pennsylvania. Welcome everyone.
2: Hey, thanks for having us. Hello again.
1: Hey guys, good to have you back. Um, So our main topic for this week is really going to be to focus in on the, the maturing silage crop that we have out in the field. So we'll dive into that in our main segment. But before we get to silage, um, we typically open up with our odd and unexplained. And and Kevin, I know that you've got an odd and unexplained topic that you've ran into this week.
0: Yep, sure do. Yeah, and I'll give a, a shout out to Marissa Dillon. She's the one that uh sent uh, sent these to me. And uh what it is, it's a it's a second generation of army worm break, uh, breakout. And what's kind of odd about it is is uh, it's the second generation of it. Typically we see armyworms in cornfields with a lot of heavy uh, grass covers whether or not it followed wheat or rye or you know those those grass covers will attract those moths and then that first generation comes in and kind of will start to begin to work on the corn around that June time period. I haven't ever run across the second generation being an issue in cornfields in all of my career and this is one of those ones that it's not just a few armyworm that have showed up. Literally, this field was nothing but stalks and midribs uh, I mean the the level of infestation in this particular field was none like i 've ever seen before, whether or not it was a first generation or a second generation. I saw the the picture of this field. it was a late planted field, uh, a lot of heavy grass cover, and it was intended to be a, kind of a, some, some late silage and the, I mean, this field was literally reduced to nothing but stalks and midribs. I, it was, it was, it blew my mind the level of, of injury that occurred out there. And in uh, as late as it is in the stage of the growth it was in there, un- unfortunately, there's not a whole lot that can be done to it. Uh, we're just going to let the field go and uh, harvest off what happens to be left. But uh, that was the strangest uh, thing I had seen in, in quite some time.
1: That's a good one, Kevin. I guess, is that something we should be looking for more broadly, or you think it was just a really weird one-off?
0: I think it is a really weird one-off. Um, I have seen, now that I, that's been brought to my attention, I've seen some some smaller amounts of feeding out in some fields, uh, not to the level where uh, control would be necessary, but it, it, yeah, it's something to kind of keep an eye out, and if you look for it, you'll probably find a little bit of it. The um, thing to look for is with armyworm, uh, there's a, a sawdust. It's kind of the way I best describe it. It's the the armyworm frass that's left behind as they're eating. It looks like there's sawdust on the plant. So that's a good telltale sign of, of what you're looking for if you happen to see some feeding and don't quite recognize if it. it looks like it's been dusted with sawdust. That's probably the the armyworm.
1: Well, that's a great odd and unexplained for the week. Be looking for sawdust in your cornfield. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, without further ado, let's jump into our main topic. Like I mentioned, we're going to dive into some discussion around the the state of the silage, the state of the silage crop out there. So hey, Jonathan, maybe you can tell us what's happening in your area to get us kicked off.
2: Yeah, so not unlike, uh, I think a lot of the areas around, um, our area is all over the place. So I've got some areas that have really good crop. Um, in fact, because they have a decent crop, they're still. They might be a little ways off on silage. I have other guys that have just not gotten rain for weeks on end, and because of that, the uh, the crop is coming to an end here really quick. And some guys are already starting. Um, overall, I think we've got we've got a fairly decent crop, but but it is very very staggered across my entire
0: area. Ditto here, Jonathan. Um, and I, I guess as I think about the silage crop and the, the variability of it, that's probably the, the challenge or the biggest question I'm getting is, is how to figure out when to start, especially in some of these these drought stressed, drought prone areas. Uh, I mean, there's fields in there that, it, uh, you know, they're so variable. You've got some spots that have a pretty well developed ear on it. And you can kind of go with the, the standard milk line aspect and use that as a gauge of when to start. And then, you know, you move five, 10, 15, 20 feet in that field and you, you barely have any year development and, and uh, the corn silage looks way drier than what it, what it is. And you're really trying to have a hard time figuring out what to, to do with it and when to start.
2: Yeah, you're dead on, Kevin. And I've been getting a lot of the same questions. I think it's a, it's a good thing to think about with corn silage to maybe go back and think about what corn silage is. So, you know, corn is a grass and it's grass that hangs an ear off of it. And so, when we're thinking about corn silage itself, it's that grass component as well as the grain component. The hard part about that is just like you described, Kevin, there's, there's some spots in these fields that it's only the grass component anymore. We don't have grain. Um, what I like to tell guys is, is we think about silage two ways. Uh, as far as what we're trying to manage. Not only is it a grass with that grain, but each one of those things brings a unique management to it. Um, the grain side is, is obviously starch, it's energy. And that's a, that's a really high value crop for that dairy. That's gonna be what really pushes milk production. And that's where you brought up the milk line. And that's a great thing. We try to pack as much starch into that ear as possible because the more starch we have, the more valuable that is to that dairy, the less high moisture corn, dry grain, other energy sources they have to feed. And we've got different research that shows that, you know, starch can accumulate by up to a percent per day. So holding off just a little bit can actually be an economic benefit. However, the grass side is what gives us a lot of, you know, the, that stalk moisture and everything is what gives us moisture and we have to ensile this. We're trying to keep this crop for a very long time. I think it really comes down to these producers understanding that and engaging that in the field of it's still, I think this is a really good year to think about moisture because we got it. We've got to retain that moisture. So we have a good in siling. Now we also want to make sure that we've got as much quality there as possible and not getting on the too wet side where we cut that crop too early.
0: So I was just going to ask you, so let's, let's debate it. Do we use yep. the, uh, uh, do we use the milk line as our gauges start, or do we use moisture? So I, I tend
2: to say that moisture is a really good place to go. I think you can use, I, I, I even myself use milk line a lot to get an idea of are we close or not. Um, and then the closer we get, I still think you want to get that moisture and get a really known. Now, One of the hard parts in a drought year like this is we have sub environments in each one of our fields. So we're going to have dry spots and we're going to have wet spots. Um, We've actually been working on a silage staging experiment here where we're going out and we're using our satellite imagery and going into the places of high health and low health and and pulling samples there. And we are seeing moisture differences. It's not surprising. Any farmers seen that before where, you get that area that's been stressed, it's, it's a lot drier as you go through and chop there than the other ones. But that may also be a really good guide going out to decide where do we pull those moistures to try to figure out where that entire crop is. So I still come back to moisture because we have to, two things, we don't want it so wet that we're just juicing the silo and having a lot of nutrients running away from the silo. And then we also don't want it so dry that we can't get a good ensiling and have that high quality
0: feed for a long period of time. How about yourself? What are you looking at? Yeah, I agree. The milk line's the easy gauge. I mean, that's the the easy button to walk out into a field and break an ear off and take a look at the the milk line and see if you're half to three quarter milk line. And yep, okay, let's time time to go. The the harder one is doing the moisture, and I, I think I think we have less guys that are doing uh, taking taking those moistures because of the time constraints of, of it. So and there's basically two methods. The way I usually recommend them doing this is going out and cutting some some sample plants. And in this particular case, especially in some of these drought-stricken, barren plants, you're going to want to grab some of those. And I generally just, you you generally have the forward harvester hooked up, you know, run those through and blow it against the side of a barn or the side of a bunker wall or something and grab a sample from that, and then start uh, cooking down the moisture. Now, I think there's enough cost or testers out there on enough farms or, you know, a a sales rep or a nutritionist that have a hand, uh, one of those that can run that in moisture sample for you. But at the same time, uh, microwave works really well. The biggest thing to remember is is take a known weight. All right, start with your wet weight. And let's say, you know, 100 grams is easy to work with. So that way, when you get your dry weight, it's easy to convert that over to percent moisture, percent dry matter. and if you do happen to use a microwave, my my comments are, two comments. One, make sure you move the microwave out to the barn or the garage because it can have a, a bit of an odor. You don't want to do this in the kitchen. And two, be careful not to overcook it because you can burn that dry matter. I'll generally start with, uh, you know, maybe a minute and a half, two minutes, and then pull it out and stir it up a little bit. You want to kind of do it fairly, fairly slowly. So just be careful you don't... Uh, don't burn it uh, and burn off that dry matter uh, when doing that. But those are good ways that you can run and check that moisture. And that's, I, I guess that'd be the biggest take home piece for guys who are in the drought stricken areas is that that corn may look as though it's completely dry. You may think it's, you know, 50% moisture or less every time I'd ever run moisture on those, those are a whole lot wetter than what we think. I just did one here uh, earlier this week where we would have sworn, would have sworn that that stuff was 50%, but it actually was running upwards of, of 70%. So that's where it's it, it's hard to be patient in some of those instances, uh, but check the moisture and see exactly where you're at.
2: Yeah, you're dead on, Kevin. And I think a lot of that goes right back to what you were stating, is we have, whether it's a barren plant or just a really low yielding plant typically your grain is one of the drier portions of that silage. So, you know, we've got that wetter stalk and that dry grain. And, and when you average those together, you get into that, you know, nice mid 60s or, you know, low 60s, depending on what structure you're going into. Whereas you pull that ear off or you have a lot less grain on that ear. It's amazing how, how dead basically that stalk can look um, to, to have a good moisture. The only other thing that just pops into my mind. And, and I would imagine, Kevin, you're dealing with this as well too, but um, overall, you know, most of my guys are feeling like silage, and myself is included, silage tonnage is going to be off pretty significantly here this year. And with that, they start thinking about where am I going to get extra tonnage from. They might have some neighbors who are grain farmers. They might have some farms that are, you know, typically just for grain. Maybe they're a little further, and one of the things that I've, I've been talking with a fair amount of farmers on is the idea of, you know, chopping and stacking or, or bagging in field. Um, some of these guys are thinking that there's gonna be some silage that's a fair ways away that they need to get to at some point in time. Um, and a really decent practice that I've found over the years is it's just so labor intensive to try that, try to haul that back to the farm here at chopping time rather go ahead and get an ag bag or, or somebody who knows really well knows how to make a good pile and go ahead and find a central location to, uh, to store that out in the field. The one thing that rolls right into though is conversation on inoculants. You know, if you've got something like that, you really want a high quality inoculant and especially if it's going to be something, obviously, if you're stacking it in the field, you're planning on moving it later. Uh, you want to have a really high quality L. Buchneri like our 11C33 or something along those lines that you're going to put on there so that it's stable when you go to move. Are you, are you seeing some of that in your neck of the woods as well?
0: No, I think with the, no, that's not something I've really ever thought about, but that's a good idea that if a guy's going to be buying silage and it's quite a bit of distance away to to actually, you know, ferment that on that site if it works out for the, you know the the landowner of that particular area to, to ferment it, ag bag it there and then move it later in the year as a or as an ad needed basis to move the fermented silage that's not something I initially had thought of I guess I kept uh, in my mind I kept thinking about hauling the the green silage and that might even make you know pricing and buying some of the green forage out of the field from a neighbor something a little easier to come up with as a possibility so that's a that's a good idea something I hadn't
2: thought yeah. of. And, and talk with the farmer, because he knows where the wet holes and where the dry spots are, so try not to put your bag in the middle of the wet hole that you're going to try to get it out of in the winter, right? Yeah,
0: yes. Uh, how about nitrates? How concerned are you with nitrates?
2: Well, it's not raining right now, so I'm not incredibly concerned. But, you know, it's always one of those things when, when we've gone and, you know, we've kind of swung for the fences at the beginning of the year and put a lot of nitrogen down on this crop, but that hasn't been realized in yield and then we get one of those late season rains, it's definitely a concern. And in fact, we've, um, we've experienced a couple of those already this season where we've had these long periods. And actually some guys, I had some guys, uh, probably three weeks ago that were getting ready to chop because they were starting to see things get into the 60s and we, we had a rain and we actually watched those moistures go up by four or five points. Um, so it gives you an idea of how much that plant can respond to that rain. And that exactly what you're talking about. That's a place where, boy, you get that response, and you've got a bunch of nitrogen in that ground, and that plant's been struggling. It can suck that up, have a lot of nitrates. Nitrates are typically closer to the base of your plant, um, but it is something also that you can be tested that you can be tested for. And, and any more our forage analysis, uh, it's pretty quick. So if it's something that's a real concern, I kind of like to test for it. And siling can help. But you know, knowledge is a huge part of the game. So at least knowing that it's in that pile, even if you're uh, even if even if you have to go ahead and get it, you know, have that green sample go away if you are concerned about nitrates. And then you then you'll know if you gotta feed differently, if you've gotta dilute it down or whatever has to happen.
0: I think you're exactly right. Take a sample, send it off, be patient, because that's gonna do two things. One, it's gonna give you the the knowledge of exactly what it is and two it's going to let that corn silage stand out there in that field for a little bit longer so you know you get that rain just like you said Jonathan, and it'll pull up that nitrate and get that but then give it a few days to kind of metabolize that and, you know kind of go through that plant process of converting that the nitrate over to amino acids and proteins and etc they can actually waiting a few days can help bring that back down um, but even still you can have some higher nitrates and silages and you mentioned the ensiling process um, if you're going into upright silos watch out for that nitrogen gas oftentimes you can see it if you've got to enter that silo to level it off just make sure you've got somebody around to keep an eye on it keep that blower running keep the fresh air in there there can be some real dangers with that and if you're in ag bags or bunkers and you've got some high silage you may have to come some, some vent holes in there to allow that that nitrogen gas to kind of to leak off and and escape out of there so just be cautious with that uh as well but uh testing yeah i'm concerned about some nitrates as well if it should ever happen to rain out here
2: yeah one other thing that i think is something that needs to be brought up too i'm sure we're gonna have guys that get surprised by dry silage and one of the times whenever you get into that situation the thing to remember is just to pack it as much as possible and dry silage and especially dry silage without grain is extremely challenging to get packed um, nobody likes to hear it, but it means that you got to slow your fill rate down or get a tremendous amount of weight on top of that silage to actually get it packed and and really whenever we see it you know um, I think the rule of thumb is about eight times the the amount of tonnage coming in um, per hour. So when you think about that, if you've got a chopper in there blowing through things, there's times where you literally cannot get enough weight on top of that silo to keep up with it. And I would, I would argue that that rule of thumb may be too light whenever you're in a dry silage that has no ear on it. So this is probably one of those years that in those drought stricken areas, as much as we've got to get through it, and I understand that, you know we gotta slow a fill rate down that may mean that you gotta fill two piles at once or something like that just in order to to get that um ag bagging can be somewhat the same you know let that ag bagger work so maybe fill two at once uprights you know they they kind of take care of themselves a little
0: bit more because of the vertical structure but any any thoughts on that kevin i agree It's a good point i hadn't I had not something i had thought about much as uh, the dry silage drought-stricken silage and as it does get too dry, the difficulty in packing, and yeah, I mean, uh, we don't want to add any, you know, insults to the injury, so once you, you don't want any storage losses once we finally do get it chopped and in the, in the bunk, so, but uh, I'll, I'll kind of spin this off on a bit of a high note, is that uh, with the weather we have, yes, it's drought-stricken, we've got some issues there, and tonnages are going to be down, but I do expect uh, digestibilities to be really high, so to kind of spin this around and maybe end it on a high note, I think digestibilities are going to be very good and quite a bit different than what we've seen in the last couple of years. Absolutely
2: couldn't agree more. Drought drought silage typically makes some really good feed. So yeah like you said if, if nothing else I think there will be some good quality feed coming out of this.
1: Well that was some awesome discussion guys. I, I think we got some great advice as we start to get into that silage crop and, and harvest it. Um, we, we already were talking about some, some watch outs there um, when it comes to silage but we take a step back and we think out the next, you know, seven to ten days and all the crops that we've got out here growing, what are some of the other uh, weekly watch-outs that you want us to be thinking about?
0: Well, let's shift gears and talk about beans a little bit Um, and specifically dead beans. I guess that's the the one watch-out or the thing I want to think about out here is uh, literally on some of the dry knolls, shaley banks out here. In southwest PA, it's been 17 days and I only have 400 so I don't even have a half of a tenth of inch of rain and those soybeans are starting to curl up lay leaves over uh they're they're literally just dying and it's not something we've seen in in this part of the the state in quite some quite some time so just be on the watch out with that and a lot of times those those dead areas like that lead to some of the more dry weather diseases we don't necessarily see uh, charcoal rot anthracnose are a couple that happen to come to front of mind and uh, i think that's one one thing to be be aware of and uh, as you're out scouting scouting fields and looking at those dry areas how about you Jonathan
2: yeah i i totally agree we've got areas that are dry and are going backwards but even in some of my better areas um i'm getting some comments from some guys on on soybeans that are acting odd um everybody always wants to say it's sudden death but uh a lot of what i'm seeing is actually brown stem rot which can can kind of mimic sudden death a little bit on leaf as well while it dries again split that stalk look inside and then then kind of almost going back to the odd and unexplained i was in a field earlier this week where we were just seeing some petioles going backwards and some plants going back, backwards and uh so I started pulling those petioles off, and sure enough, it had a little hole board right in the middle of it. So that's decky's stem bore. Um, so I think there's some spots that we might even see some of that. Uh, just just a good time to be be scouting those fields, looking around, uh, contacting like your your agronomist, like Kevin myself, your sales rep, whatever, um, and we can we can try to figure out what's going on there. Kind of the nasty part about that is whether it's drought or or brown stem rot or whatever else, those are those are diseases that we're not really going to fix with a fungicide or insecticide or anything like that at this point, especially if we're seeing them in some double crop beans that, you know, are still in the in the reproductive stage where we could fix something. So not a lot to be done other than awareness and then maybe thinking about staging that crop for harvest down the road.
0: You brought something up there and kind of got me thinking there. Foliar diseases. Um, as dry as it is out here, I'm seeing very little foliar disease, even as we get into some of the, the more fall-like conditions and cool moorings and some additional leaf wetness that's out there. I'm still not seeing a whole lot out here. Uh, I got a little bit of gray leaf spot that's working into some of the corn up in my, uh, you know, as you get closer to Lake Erie, but still it's been a very, fairly low and, and some odd, odd breaks of some northern corn leaf bite, but not much. Um, how about you're down in your Are you seeing much as far as foliar diseases popping up? Yeah,
2: so we've we've kind of had that baseline of foliar disease the whole year, but like you said, it's been dry enough that we just we haven't had a whole lot to uh a whole lot to um blow up. At this point in time, we are getting some of that leaf wetness in the morning and it's hanging around and we're starting to see it see it go a little bit uh a little bit faster. So, that's one of the things I look at. We're not going to go put foliar fungicides on corn anymore, but if we see that foliar disease blowing up in a certain field, that starts to make me wonder about standability and some things down the road. Um, just one thing, I wanted to go back. I think I misspoke before. I said an eight x rate on uh, on packing. It's two and a half. It's eight hundred pounds um, worth of tractor as fed. So two two and a half x rate is that packing density that you're thinking. So whatever you got coming into the uh, bunker, multiply that by two and a half. That's how many tons of tractor you need on on that thing. So I just wanted to clarify that. I was getting the eight mixed up with two and a half So,
1: All right. Well, hey, thanks, guys, as always, for your expert advice um, as, we're, as we're moving forward here through the remainder of the season. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up. And I did want to let our listeners know that uh, Cheyenne and myself will be transitioning from hosts to listeners. So that means as we move forward, you'll have new hosts joining the podcast in the coming weeks. So we won't spoil the surprise. Tune in next time to see who your new hosts are. With that, thanks to everyone. Just a reminder to our listeners, we really do appreciate you and Kelly and I, we are happy that we had an opportunity to work on this podcast, but it, um, unfortunately we will be transitioning and we will be becoming listeners. So we'll still be engaging in some sort of way. And with that, please follow us on Twitter. The Pioneer Agronomy podcast is at Pioneer Agro M-E, and Pioneer Seeds is at Pioneer Seeds, and there is at Corteva US. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and coming next time to see who will be your new hosts.
2: Thank you
0: for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com podcast to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.